dead. And that sort of, I was thinking, how can I rephrase that? It says that in the Bible, but it sort of sounds negative. <laughs> but, it's, but I just, bear with me. You know, it's been a really t- a time of intense testing for us, hasn't it, over the last few years, in lots of ways, lots of ways. And it, I, I actually believe that we're living through a, an image or a precursor to, um, to what the kingdom of darkness wants, and that is to have a uh, one-world government and a, a, a total control. And this is what the, what's happening now. I don't believe it is the actual thing, but I think it's like an image. And often in, in, in Bible times, all, all Bible times right through to now, there's always been an image before the real thing. And this would be an image of that. And I, and I kind of think to myself, gosh, if this is just an image of what it will be like, I really don't want to be there <laughs> in the real thing because um, not a pleasant time. So... I just really wanted to spend today encouraging you to stand strong in your faith and to walk by faith and to line up your actions and words so that they're lined up properly. Um, Yeah, so actions and words and faith together needs to be lined up because we're all going through things, all going through all sorts of things. And only you know, and you and I know each individually what that is, and God obviously knows intimately because He knows everything. So I wanted to take us to somewhere in the Bible, actually, the time of Moses. I want to take you to the book of Exodus, and I'm going to read to you um, chapter one. And I think I need my glasses. Could you please pass that? Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. My eyesight is good, but. Sometimes it needs a little bit of help. Thank you. Nice to hear some Bible fluttering there. That's great. I love that. (laughs) With that rice paper, you know. Okay, so I'll start in... Okay, so first of all, it starts off by naming um, the children of Jacob who who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And names those. And Joseph, you'd have to go and read the Genesis to find out what happened with Joseph. But basically, all of the people of Israel were in Egypt because of something that had happened like 400 years earlier uh, where there was a huge famine. And so the people were in Egypt there. And anyway, in verse 6, it says, And Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Okay, so the numbers of the Israeli people increased significantly. And verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, Let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. So basically, uh, the the new pharaoh of Egypt um, didn't know Joseph at all. It was quite a few generations down. He had no um, loyalty loyalty at all to the people of Israel, and their numbers had multiplied. So anyway, verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities. And there's two cities that they 
built. Apparently they were storehouse cities of treasure. Um, and, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Isn't it interesting how God does the opposite of what man tries to do quite often? And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. So they were slaves. They became slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, listen to this, of whom the name of one was Shipra, not that that matters. And he said, when, do you, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. And if it is a daughter, then she shall live. That's an extraordinary thing to be asking the midwives to do, isn't it? But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. <laughs> okay. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty, and so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. And so this is what Pharaoh did instead. So he commanded all his people saying, every son who is born you shall cast into the river. And every daughter you shall save alive. So he didn't just stop there. He actually said, okay, well, if they're all born, that's fine. I just want you to throw the male babies into the river. So, so the people of Israel were, that, that's... Um, they were in slavery, and also they were, uh, there was genocide happening. Eh? And uh, that's, uh, I would call that an intense period of testing. Would you? Yeah, definitely. Horrible. That would be horrible. Now, Moses was born in that time, and he, through the hand of God, was saved and basically was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So you have to read that story, which is amazing in itself, isn't it? I mean, you look through those sorts of stories and you see that the one child that is saved <laughs> becomes the saviour for the Israeli people. That's amazing. And uh, he, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. But as, when he grew up, he, he killed an Egyptian. He was, he, an Egyptian was being really hard on, on some um, of the Hebrews. He actually killed him. And then he didn't think anyone had noticed, but the Hebrew people, the Israeli people, had noticed, and they said, uh, you actually just killed that guy, why would we listen to you type thing? And so he freaked out and fled to Midian. And that's where he had an encounter with God who told Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. So what happened was Moses came back from Midian and he went to Pharaoh and let me just um, have a look. Yeah, I'm going to read you a little bit more from Exodus 5. All right, so this is where the intense testing continued because Pharaoh wasn't interested at all in releasing the, he the Israelite people because he had a really good workforce through them, a good slave force, and he didn't want to lose them. 
So it says in verse 1, Afterwards Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So he's very proud and thinks he knows it all. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. So in other words, what he's saying is he's, he's got annoyed that they've asked to be released. And he's angry about that, and so he's making it harder for them. And so this is what he did. On the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. In other words, they're going to make the job harder. And you shall lay lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. So in other words, now... Because you've been so annoying that you've asked to be set free, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to now go and collect the straw to make the bricks, which you didn't have to do before, but you're going to have to make the same number of bricks. The quota's not changing. That's pretty rough. And he says, Let more work be laid on the men that they may labour in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people. Um, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it, and yet none of your work, none of your work is going to be diminished. In other words, you still have to do the same amount. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land trying to gabble, gather straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as we, as, just like it was when there was straw. So that's pretty full on, isn't it? That's a, that's a pretty intense time of uh, testing. Because they were trying to do what they felt God was saying, and yet it became harder for them. Hey. So I'm just going to change tack for a moment. I'm going to come back to Moses. I want to go to uh, Philippians 3, uh, verses 8 to 9 from the Amplified Bible. Yay, cool. I don't have it written down. So um, I'll just read it off the screen. Yes, furthermore, I count everything. So this is um, Philippians, and I think that was written by Paul. Um, Let me just double check that. Pretty sure it was. Yep. Yep. Uh, yes so yes so this is Paul talking Um, furthermore I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege the overwhelming preciousness the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord absolutely it is and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly For his sake I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish in order that I may win, um, gain, or gain Christ, the anointed one. All right, so in um, one of the versions it says that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, 
believing and relying on him, not having any righteousness of my own. So if I just go to Philippians in my Bible, I've got a uh, New King James. Uh, yeah, okay. Whoops, wrong one. Yep, okay, so in the New King James it says that I may be that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, righteousness, I just want to talk about righteousness for a moment. Righteousness is a word that we don't typically use today except maybe if you come to church. But even then, a lot of people don't understand really what that means because it's not a word that you typically use in your everyday conversation. But righteousness is basically, think of it as this, being right with God. It's being right with God. So we're, and how are we made righteous? We're made righteous due to our faith in Christ. Okay? Now, we've been made righteous because of the redemption that we have through Jesus. It's because of that that we've been made righteous. No, it's not through anything we've done. It's solely through what Jesus has done. So redemption means atonement or payment for guilt, basically. And so that's what Jesus did on the cross. He, he paid for the guilt of mankind to make us right with God again. And that's what righteousness is. It's, we've been made right with God, not because of anything we've done, but just uh, because of what Jesus did. So never confuse righteousness with self-righteousness because we can never be right with God through anything that we do ourselves. And there's a scripture in Titus which says, verse, chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, um, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. That's true, eh? Because it's according to his mercy that, is, that he saved us, not by any good thing we have done. And so that's why we can never go to heaven by doing good things. That's not, gonna, that's not what saves us at all. So, um, hold on, I just need to get myself sorted out here. I've got my paper notes handwritten. Our works will never be sufficient to cover our sin. Never. And I want to go to, there's a few scriptures today, and not all of them are up on the screen. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and then I'll do 10 in a minute. So verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved. We've been saved by grace. It's not anything we've done. We've been, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. In other words, we've been saved by grace through faith, because we have to take a step of faith. We have to believe without seeing. Um, but it's not of ourselves. In other words, it's not something we have done. It's a gift of God. And in verse 9 it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so we're not saved by works, otherwise it would be, oh, I've done this and so I'm saved. But it's not like that at all. And then in verse 10, it says, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we've been created, or recreated actually, as, um, as when we give our lives to the Lord, for good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. So this is something that we need to realize, is that we are all that is holding up or delaying our progress in God. We individually are the only thing that's delaying progress. It might be related to surrender. I loved those songs this morning. It was really great because they were so applicable. Our surrender to God is a a really, really important key, I think, for kind of unlocking um, a lot of things to do with God, including the anointing as well. We've got to be able to surrender. We've got to be willing to surrender. So if, if... we are the only ones holding up our own personal progress in God, then that means also that we can fix it. (laughs) And that's why it says in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that just means work it out, you know. So it doesn't mean you've got to figure it out. That would be how we interpret English these days, but it just means work it out through things you're doing. So um, I want to go to Matthew 12. Bear with me. Bear with me. (laughs) Matthew 12, 33 to 37. It says this. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Okay, so a tree is known by its fruit. And uh, obviously that applies to us as well. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil, so I think he was talking to, who was he talking to? Um, Probably the Pharisees or something. Yep, the Pharisees. He said to them, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what I love about Jesus is that even though they were Pharisees, he absolutely totally pulled them up when he thought they were being hypocrites. And he absolutely never tried to sugarcoat anything. I love that. Um, We've got to always speak the truth in love, right? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So it's the fruit that we bear, it's the fruit we bring out that shows our progress. And you know what? It's what we speak out of our mouth that shows what's in our heart. And you can tell that especially when, uh, what, when you're faced with a really difficult situation or you get really angry or whatever, Whatever comes out of the, of the mouth at that time really shows what's in here because when things are going fine, we can control that. Hey, we can self-regulate. But when we're feeling frustrated or angry or whatever, that is really a true indication of what's in here. Um, so this is the point of my message. Are we speaking faith? 
Or are we focusing on circumstances and speaking fear? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. So if we're speaking faith, I want to give you a couple of examples of positive and negative. Speaking faith, we might say, my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, you're my supplier, you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I thank you, Lord, that you provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. Okay, so that's a word of faith. And often um, speaking out the actual word of God is really helpful with that. If we're focusing on circumstances and speaking fear, what we, an example of that could be something like, there's no way I'm going to have enough. What am I going to do? Oh my gosh, what if they try to repossess my car? Hey, it's so true. Because those words I just said then are focused on the circumstance. Because a person might have got a notice in the mail saying, if this payment is not made by this date, this is what's going to happen. And then you've got to really watch yourself because then you can think, oh, fear. That can be an opportunity to, for fear to come in. And that's why it's so important that, we listen, that we're filling our heart with the word of God, speaking faith only and not allowing that, those fear-filled words to come out of our mouth. So, so important. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've got to do that. Now, I, another thing I wanted to point out in verse 36 is that I say that to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. So an idle word, it comes from the Greek word argos, which means not busy, doing nothing, inactive. So they're careless words, casual words, words of fear. Basically, they're, they're words that aren't faith-based, I, I believe, not, not faith-based words. So... <clears throat> this is a few little things that to give us um, an idea of what, what words are faith-based. And faith-based words are words that speak the solution. Because God says, uh, walk by faith and not by sight. So if we're walking by faith, we're not looking at the circumstance. If we're walking by sight, we're focusing on the circumstance. So we need to look at the look by faith at what we cannot see with our eyes. We need to make sure we're speaking the solution. We need to speak words that speak into being the will of God. We need to speak words that frame solutions. So we need to speak words, and, this, and so this is so important, especially at this time when we're going through such a tumultuous time, that we're just speaking words that show our belief, what we're believing for, regardless of what's going on around us. We've got to do that. And it is a really tumultuous time. I was uh, driving... Hold on, I'm just going to have a drink. I was driving north back home. where We're living up near Levin at the moment, and um, which is lovely. But I was driving through... I think it was near Monaco. And, <clears throat> and I looked out my mirror and it was, it was like I could see the ground heaving. And this thought came into my mind about how the earth is groaning, you know, the earth is groaning. And it felt like the whole earth is just heaving 
with all of the things that are going on around the world. And I, I thought, wow, thank you, God, that we've just got to keep our eyes on you, not on the circumstances. Yeah, I want to go to Hebrews. This is such a, a good scripture for faith. Hebrews 11. Let me just find it. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay? So circumstances are already seen. Okay? So we don't need faith if we're just looking at circumstances. But, but if we're believing for something that we cannot see, the evidence of those things that we're believing for are our faith. So our faith is that evidence that we need, okay? So it's a, it's a, it says it's a substance of things hoped for, okay? So, so important that we really get that into our heart. Verse 3 says, you see, even God uses faith. <laughs> he doesn't just sit there saying, oh, you guys just have to live by faith. Actually, he's trying to teach us how he works, you know, he, he, he works by faith. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the world's, worlds, notice it's not just the earth, the worlds were framed by the word of God. That means he spoke it out. It says, So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's cool. So God lives by faith. So I want you to think about, considering you, consider your thoughts. There's three things you need to be thinking about. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Okay? Because thoughts lead to words, and they lead to actions. And so every sin, including fear, because fear is not of God. Fear is a sin, actually. It's also, there's also a demon of fear as well. But every sin starts with a thought and can have devastating consequences if it's allowed to grow. Therefore, so always be thinking, okay, God, every time I get a fear-filled thought or a sinful thought or anything in my mind, we need to bring that thought into captivity. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that. We must nip those things in the bud. So if I just go to 2 Corinthians 10.5. Um, it says, casting down arguments or imaginations. Yeah, that's another word. Arguments is used in New King James, but imaginations is another word. Casting down imaginations, or thoughts, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we, we can do that, and that's, that's what it's saying to us to do. So we need to make sure we do that. Now, I'm just going to go back to Moses now. Okay? So an incredible story, actually, in, with Moses, what happened there with, um, in Exodus. Verse, uh, ch chapter 7 to 12 outlines all of the incredible signs that God did through Moses, uh, to get Pharaoh to release the people of Israel. And he had such a hard heart that 
He just wouldn't let them go. It wasn't until um, the firstborn of every family, and I think it was every livestock and everything, I think it was the firstborn of everything, died, um, that then finally he allowed the people to go. But uh, what happened was the, Moses led, the, or with God's help, obviously, they, they went all the way to the Red Sea um, by a, a way that wouldn't normally make sense, but they went to the Red Sea. And in Exodus 14, <clears throat> verses 13, I'm going to start at verse 13. So what had happened was they had left Egypt with the Pharaoh's blessing. He changed his mind. He got together 600 chariots and, um, and they basically pursued them and came up to them as they got near the Red Sea. So in verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to backtrack slightly. Yeah, verse 10. the, The people of Israel weren't in faith at this moment. They they started looking at the circumstances of the Egyptian army racing up behind them. It says in verse 10, The children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They were really afraid. So that's not good. They were in fear. They weren't in faith. They were looking at the circumstances. And then, verse 11, they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, why have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? See, now they're trying to point the finger. Isn't it interesting how when people feel a bit squeezed, they start blaming everyone else? <laughs> it's really not a pleasant thing. But I guess we just need to recognize that they're just fearful. Or we're fearful when, if we do that and, and deal with it. In verse 12, it says, Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us. So now they're saying we, they wanted to stay behind. <laughs> now they're actually saying, Actually, it was better in Egypt. We wish we'd stayed there. So in verse 12, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So are they in faith? No, not at all. They're looking at the circumstances. They're getting their eyes off God and onto the circumstances. So in these times of intense testing, we need to make sure our eyes are on God, not on the circumstances, not on the things going on around us. We need to make sure we're walking by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, Hebrews 11, 6 says, it is impo- I think you might have this one, I'm not sure, um, that it's impossible to please, oh yeah, uh, 
Oh, yeah, okay. Have you got 11.6? Yep, cool. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. It doesn't say that it's not as likely you'll please him. It actually says impossible, which means you can't please God if you're not in faith. That's interesting, isn't it? That's really, really interesting that you've got to make sure that you're in faith. So I want to uh, go back to Exodus. I'm going to start, keep going from verse 13 through to 16. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. See, he, he is in faith. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Wow, that's cool. Verse 14, The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And then this, I thought this is really, really interesting how God then says this. Why are you crying to me? Why are you doing that? Tell the people of Israel to move forward. <laughs> you know, God expects us to act on our faith. We can't just be in faith and do nothing because faith without works is dead. And this is, that's the whole point of this message is that faith, if we don't have corresponding actions, it's dead. And so we need to make sure that we're willing to step out into the unknown sometimes, you know. For Moses, for Moses in this instance, it meant he needed to lift his rod to divide the Red Sea. And then that's when God did the miracle. He did the miracle once, you know, he, he stepped out and lifted up that rod. So we can't expect God to turn things around for us if we do nothing or are in fear. God is only moved by our faith. And so I just want to say that faith requires action. And that's why it says in James 2.26, faith without works is dead. And also in James 1.22, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. You're actually deceiving yourself if you're just doing the uh, hearing the word and not doing anything with it you need to be in faith and act so i want to go to james the book of james it's an excellent book of the bible and i want to go to chapter two um, i'm just going to read a chunk of it from four, verse 14 to 26 what does it profit my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So if you say, oh, bless you, and they're, they're starving, it's better if we actually do something about it, isn't it? Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then verse 18, we do have that one up on the, for the screen, I think. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Okay, but then what, Paul say, or what James says is, I will show you my faith by my works. I like that. So we show our faith to other people by the works we're doing. And, and even to God, he'd see that too. Or he'll know us in, intimately inside, but other people can see that we're in faith if by our works. And then it goes on to say um, in verse 21, 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Okay, so if you don't know that story, go and look it up. It's in Genesis 22. Basically, God told Abraham, he, he wanted to, he said to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham just had one child. Then God said, I want you to sacrifice your son on the altar. And he, I mean, most of us would be like, whoa, kill my son? as a sacrifice. I don't know how well I'd manage with that. I don't think I'd manage with that at all. But uh, he got to that God stopped him just at the last moment as he was raising the knife to kill his son and there was a ram in the thicket. So, you know, that was an incredible test that Abraham passed. And also another example is um, Rahab, which is talked about a little mention, just mentioned in verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? And then it talks about how faith without works is dead also. So it talks about faith without works is dead right through that passage there. But if you don't know the story of Rahab, that's an incredible story as well. She was in the, living in Jericho, um, and that was the city, remember, that the Israeli people walked, marched around seven days, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and then it fell down. But uh, they'd sent some, a couple of spies in there to, into the city prior to that, just to spy it out, and she actually hid them fr um, from the king and let them out and said, will you, can you, you know, look after me and my family? And they said yes. And so you can look that up in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6. Um, but that's an amazing story of her faith as well. And even as a church... Um, <clears throat> between 1985 as a church and mid-1990s, we rented halls and rooms. Some of you were here then, some of you weren't. But, uh, you know, that in itself has its challenges because it means setting up and dismantling every single Sunday. So it meant really long days. Uh, but Pastor Don and Pastor Robin believe God had a building for our church. And, that, and, and I know a lot of the people that were here back then were in faith as well at that time um, and we knew and we knew that God would supply it and so this building was purchased around the mid 1990s and it used to be a joinery factory uh, and it needed a lot of work to be done to make it what it is now but they had faith that God would provide not only the building but also the funds to make it into a church and and so they, even, even once they built the building, the funds to do the work, they were just work, walking by faith week by week because the money would come in each week and they'd use that money to do something to do the building up. That's pretty cool. You know, they had to act on their faith. You know, if they'd just say, thank you, God, for a new building, thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord, you provide every need. Thank you, Father, for that. If they didn't bother going and looking at properties... If they didn't save any money or try and raise any funds, that would, that, they wouldn't have had any action to their faith. And so they needed to make sure that they were not only in faith, but that they had the actions that were corresponding to that as well. So just, be, just as we finish, I just want to say to you, what are you standing in faith for? And what actions are you taking to back up your faith? Do you need a job? You know, 
Thank, if, what I'd do is this, thank God for your new job. That's your faith. You say, thank you, God, that you've got a new job for me. Thank you, Lord, that you're my provider. You're the source of my, my life and my being. And then your action would be to actively look for a job and actively apply for jobs that suit. You've got to have wisdom as well. Don't just apply for anything. God wouldn't just want you just doing any old thing. Okay? But do you need a new place to live? Then your faith would be, thank God for your new home. Thank you, God, that you have a new home for me. Be specific. I thank you, God, it needs to have um, three bedrooms or whatever it is that you need. And then your action would be actively look and apply for or make an offer on homes that feel right, that feel like they're the right fit for you. Um, If you're having difficulty financially, what could your faith be? This is the first thing. Recognize that God is your source, not your employer, not your business, or your clients. God is your source. He might bring provision through those people, but they are not your source. God is your source. And then you need to thank God that he is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Thank you, God. You have, um, you've met every need. Thank you, God. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Thank you, God, that I have abundance in my life. There is no lack in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that you provide everything I need. And then your action will be this, giving regularly in tithes and offerings. Tithe is the 10% offerings are over and above that. But if you're serious about that, then you would be putting actions to your faith and saying, thank you, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe your word, which says that you provide my every need. Because it says in Malachi, the windows of heaven are open over those who give. So finally, God is our provider. He's the sole source of truth. He's the sole source of health, of finances and life. So I just want to really encourage you today, trust him. Make sure you're standing by faith and act on your faith. So make sure you're believing God's word. You need to believe that he does want you protected. Step out in faith. Make sure your words are words of faith. And then apply corresponding actions. All right. So I just want to, I don't, I'm assuming most people here, let me just have a quick look at every single person in this room. And there might be ones out the back. Um, but if you, if you don't know Jesus, I think everyone does in here. Not sure about out there. But uh, let me just... I say to you that um, Jesus died on the cross and he redeemed us. And it meant basically that we can, we have salvation and it's not because, we can have salvation if we accept that gift, but it's not anything we do that we, that we need. But all we have to do is just take that step of faith and, and pray. So on behalf of anybody that might be out in the cafe, I'm just going to pray. So if you just... Um, close your eyes for a moment Um, if you want to make this decision just pray this after me dear God I believe that Jesus died for me I acknowledge I've done things which are wrong please forgive me I accept your gift of salvation thank you for sending Jesus to die on the earth, on the cross, 
to make me right with you. Thank you, Lord. You are my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Um, so I just want to, before we close, um, and the leaders out in the back room can, can do this for the people out there too, if you're wanting any prayer of any kind, please, um, please come forward for prayer. And perhaps, Hayley, can you play some music? We, we'll, uh, if anybody needs prayer for any reason, whether it be healing, whether it be a prayer of agreement, no matter what it, what, what it is, we would be absolutely blessed to pray with you and um, stand in agreement with you, okay? So I just, I just want to, I'll just close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your love and kindness. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you, Father, for your love for us as a church. I thank you, Father God, that we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you, Father. You are our refuge. You are our fortress. We put our trust in you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God, that you you're our deliverer. You're our provider. Thank you, Father God, that you, you hide us in the shadow of your wings. So we thank you, Father. And I pray for blessing and life, Father God, on every person, Father, at Centre Church this day. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father, for your, your huge blessing that you pour out on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So please come forward if you would like prayer. That would be we'd be we'd love to pray with you.